Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty Spotlight Interviews. I'm Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with insight from a different perspective of the Business Fights Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. And this week, I'm delighted to be joined by Amanda Gardner, Vice President of Global Sustainability and Social Innovation at Pearson, who are the largest education company in the world. Amanda leads the global team responsible for integrating social, economic and environmental issues into business strategy and operations, with a key focus on innovating and delivering value to underserved communities through innovative approaches. Prior to this, Amanda was Pearson's Director of Global Advocacy and Partnerships, working closely with organisations such as the UN and the World Economic Forum. Amanda has been on the board of the Global Partnership for Education, a programme specialist for the United Nations Development Programme, and a consultant for UNESCO. Amanda, welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Your career has spanned some major academic organisations, the UN and now Pearson, where you have looked after their work on advocacy, partnerships, social innovation and sustainability. Is there one theme that runs through your career? Yes, I think there probably is at least one theme. Um, Certainly, I'm very global in perspective. And so all of the work that I have done has had an international slant to it and a focus on the lowest income populations, the lowest income countries, because that's where my passion lies, is really thinking about where we can drive change for those who need it the most. I think a second theme would definitely be driving that change in contexts of great complexity and chaos. I really love to be a builder and an instigator, if I can use that word. Um, I like to work with diverse groups of people who have potentially very different sets of views and ideas and really work together to find common ground and forge shared objectives in order to solve those big, hairy kind of global problems and find a path forward that's going to drive those changes. That's what that's what gets me up in the morning. Sitting there and sort of looking at the education across the globe and where that can possibly go you must see lots of new sort of trends coming through and the sort of really horizon scanning. What would you say are the sort of top three trends that you're seeing at the moment for companies and their societal impact work? So I think one of the biggest changes that we're seeing, particularly in this space of sustainability, is this trend that multinationals are tying social purpose much more closely with their core business. So this is a trend that's been percolating for a while, but I think it's really, really taken off in the last few years for a few different reasons. Certainly the the B Corps and the social entrepreneurship movements have driven more attention to this alignment between purpose and business value. Um, leaders like Paul Pullman, for example, of Unilever, who, uh, who have stepped up and really demonstrated how social purpose and social impact work can impact a company's bottom line. And I think that probably brings me to another trend, which is growing investor interest in this area. You look at things like the letter that Larry Fink of BlackRock sends out to CEOs each year. And last year, he, he articulated that without a sense of greater purpose, that 
no company can really achieve its full potential. The investor community is really starting to step up to the plate, which is something that the CSR and the sustainability community has, has wanted for a long time. And actually, they're starting to lead this agenda and drive the agenda. And I think we're going to see more of that, certainly in the next year uh, to five years. Investors want to have an ongoing dialogue with investees about long-term value now. And I've seen that really come together at Pearson in terms of our engagement with investors, uh, the way that investors are reaching out to us and wanting to know about our sustainability plan, our thinking around human rights and environmental issues. And then I think the third trend I would probably highlight is I see a real need and interest coming in the coming together of the climate and the social agenda. What that looks like is still being worked out, but increasingly I am going to events, sitting on platforms and panels and speaking with um, professionals who are working on the climate agenda and working on the social agenda. And we're still doing that in silos in many different ways, but we're coming together a lot more. And I think that trend will continue, particularly now that we're seeing new climate challenges come out in the latest IPCC report, for example. And there's a new impetus really to step up the collective action uh, around certain certain agendas. So I, I think that we'll see that coming together much, uh, much stronger in the coming years. And with those three trends in mind, I mean, what do you face as your sort of biggest challenge, whether it's your day-to-day challenge or, or an existential challenge from Pearson's perspective? Well, it depends on if you're asking from a professional or a personal point of view. I think from a professional point of view as someone in this space, I think still changing minds about the way Pearson or about the way that companies can make the most social impact. Um, and that that's internally and externally. People assume still that, you know, the CSR person or the sustainability person is the person who leads on philanthropy, um, who gives away money. And actually more and more, this space is really about how companies make their money. There's a lot to change in that space. I think there's also changes that can be made on the NGO side and the not-for-profit side. NGOs still want to talk about financial donations from companies first. And so finding a way to navigate through that conversation and end up in a space where we're talking about shared value creation is something that I think is continues to be a challenge for professionals working in this area. On the personal side, I think a huge challenge is always balancing the professional ambition that I have to, to, to make a change with my personal commitments. You know, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I need to be present at home for my kids, carving out the time I want to spend with them and that they deserve can be challenging and tricky when you really want to change the world. I make it a, I make a choice to be home for breakfast and dinners. I feel pretty good about how I've been able to balance that, but it is a constant adjustment process uh, based on what's going on in the office and what's going on at home. But I really think that particularly in the Me Too movement, I think it's important for mid-career professionals to model balance. Uh, and I find it important to be a, a role model for my team and for other young women in the office. But it's challenging. It's challenging. And going back briefly to your kind of the professional challenge about changing minds and helping the business and, and others understand the difference between sustainability and philanthropy. Are there particular areas that you're seeing that solutions or the shifts coming from? Is it sort of going back to that investor approach or is it something else? Well, one of the 
key pieces of work that falls within my agenda at Pearson is um, around this concept of social innovation. And we're really thinking about how do we ensure that Pearson's products and services are making the, the social impact and maximizing the social impact that they can have. And I think that's really helped. It's a movement that's really helping to shift the agenda here and change minds about the value of engaging a company's core business. One of the, one of the initiatives that we are implementing at Pearson is a, a social innovation incubator where we're making a call out to our employees for ideas for how our products and services can impact low income communities. And we source those ideas. We, we go through them, we vet the applications, and we are selecting teams of employees who then receive support, financial support, mentoring support, to go out and start to build those ideas out. In other words, to build new products. And that's something that in the beginning, we really thought was an incredible opportunity for employees to make a difference. And what we're finding is it is, but it's also an incredible opportunity for Pearson to find new markets, for Pearson to think about new business models, for employee teams to understand the innovation process and to interact with customers. And so there's really been a sea change in how we're thinking about this as a value driver for the business, as well as a driver for the communities that we're working in. So I think that's a really great example of, of how we can continue to um, help people understand that social impact is more than philanthropy. And it's so interesting, the number of times you hear about the social innovation programs going on within business, but they come from different starting points. Sometimes it comes from, we need a new product and service, and it comes out of the innovation space. Mm. And sometimes, to your point, you know, it's come out of a people engagement as the initial driver, and then you're suddenly finding these amazing products and services. I'm sure I oversimplify it. Amanda, uh, the Business Fights Poverty community, we, we're made up of... Uh, professionals like yourself from business, but also from NGOs, social enterprise, academia and policymakers, and, and many more. Collaboration is often what we're all about, um, networking and helping people be better at their jobs and, and not be so potentially alone within their organisations. How can collaboration and potentially the Business Fights Poverty Network help Pearson or yourself reach your ambitions and, and create the societal impact that you are aiming for? Well, I think... Number one, the network enables us to really have a dialogue with like-minded actors, companies, organizations, others who care about the role that education plays in, in delivering on the SDGs, who care about having a social impact, um, and who care about some of the very specific issues that, that we do as a company. We've had the opportunity to be part of the network for some some time now and to collaborate on projects about entrepreneurship, intrapreneurship, uh, refugee education, education for the SDGs and the, and the role of business in engaging in that. We really find that this has enabled us to build trust and have dialogue with different kinds of organizations. And the value of that is not only to, to have conversations, but then eventually to come together and bring our, our capabilities and our resources to bear in a combined way around different challenges. And so we've worked with some of the different members of the network on particular projects now. Um, we've built on the relationships and the conversations we've had as part of the network to 
for example, deliver different kinds of thought leadership product products to um, think about how we might solve a particular challenge in a geography that we are both located in. Um, and so I think it's that spark of coming together to address some of the biggest challenges in the world. Uh, and the network allows us to create those sparks and then take those in the directions that we want to take them in. And each time we have our little spotlight interview, we kind of go through a few more personal questions. My first question, who inspires you and how do you stay motivated? Oh, who inspires me? My children inspire me every day um, and keep me grounded, that's for sure. But I think more generally, you know, people who have a really strong sense of purpose and who are driven by the opportunity to affect change or changes that they care about and not necessarily driven by the glory of that. I think of people like Ruth Bader Ginsburg very subtle, but very powerful in their intention to drive real and lasting social change. I think about the cultural icon of, of Rosie the Riveter, you know, the woman with her arm flexed in the picture, which you probably have etched in your mind. My great aunt just passed away this week, actually, in West Virginia, and she was one of the, of the women who replaced male workers in factories and shipyards during World War II when, when the men went off to war. She was the inspiration or one of the inspirations for Rosie the Riveter. And it's that image of the strong woman who rolls up her sleeves, steps up to the plate and gets things done when they need to be done without thinking about how am I going to get the recognition for this? That's what inspires me. You know, working in the sustainability space, I'm surrounded by a really wonderful group of peers and other companies doing similar jobs. And, and we have the opportunity to come together fairly regularly in breakfast groups, in leaders groups. Um, and I get a lot of inspiration from those peers. Those are all people who, like me, are often working tirelessly behind the scenes in companies to drive operational changes that are going to make real systemic impact in how their company how how their company affects social change and so that is an inspiration for me i feel inspired just by listening to you amanda <laughs> <laughs> and what are you most excited about for 2019 oh my goodness um there's a lot to be ex excited about i mentioned larry fink uh, his new letters out in a few weeks i'd love to hear what he's going to challenge ceos to do next um i'm very excited about the way that this space is moving and the growing momentum coming from the international community as we inch closer to 2030 and the deadline for the SDGs to really engage business in this conversation in a different way. I think we're starting to come to a tipping point in terms of that SDG 17 on partnerships. You know, that word has been thrown around loosely. Uh, Many folks are doing many things together, but what is it really going to take for everyone to come together around a few core ideas that everyone can get behind and forget about individual brands, individual interests? Uh, so what will be those different ideas that emerge and how will that happen is something that I'm interested in. And what does personal success look like for you? That, that's a tough one. Certainly inspiring others to do the work that I do. I love my job and I want other people to love my job <laughs> and want it to be their job. Um, I really do enjoy finding ways to motivate other people with 
different ideas than mine, different views than mine to drive the kind of social changes that I care about and believe are important for the world. And I also believe in being a good role model, leading with kindness, leading with honesty and being very direct about my points of view and what I need from other people. So to the extent that I'm able to achieve that, that's personal success for me. And my final question for you today, what advice would you give to someone who's just starting out on their career? Oh, there's lots of advice. You'll get lots of advice from everybody. Don't always listen to it. That's one piece of advice. Um, second piece of advice, don't plan too carefully. I'm a planner. I, I uh, love my lists and I love to think through every problem from every angle, but I've had to, out of necessity and also based on sheer luck, I've, I've, I've followed opportunities in my career that have come straight out of left field. And actually that's led me to where I am. And so I would say, follow those opportunities, even if they seem a little weird, particularly when you're young and you have more career flexibility, it's always fine to know, to know what you want. But I think it's important to be a little bit open-minded about the path, the path that will take you there. Certainly I started in music. I had not a clue that I was going to end up in this space. And my path went through all different types of uh, experiences, countries, situations, and here I am. So I think you can end up somewhere great, um, but it's never going to be a straight line. The other thing I would say, particularly for those who are interested in, in, in this sustainability or corporate responsibility, social innovation space, get stuck into the business. Some of the best moments in my career and my time at Pearson even have been working with the tax team, working with the procurement team, working with our product development team to really understand what they do, the daily challenges that, that they're facing in order to be able to advise and provide support to them uh, on how to maximize their impact in the social environmental space. And so that business experience is hugely valuable and it's where the business has the most impact. So if you're wanting to do sustainability, you don't have to be in a sustainability team. You can be in other parts of the business making a difference. So that would be my, my other piece of advice. Well, Amanda Gardner, thank you very much for your time today and for all your advice and insights. It's been uh, very, very useful. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 